All right, we are live. Hello, gentlemen. Good to be with you all again. Coming in hot from Tokyo, where it is a thousand degrees and a thousand degrees humidity. We are looking forward to at least a slight drop in heat sometime in the near future. I do love the heat and the humidity, but by this time of year, damn, if I don't need a little bit of a break. And this year, it has given me none. How you guys doing? Doing good. Uh, and I heard that um, there's, there's some good news and bad news with regards to that. I, th I think the, um, was it was it NATO or one of these groups had, had announced that the climate change is, is, is finished. Um, um, but unfortunately, good. now we've moved on to gl global boiling. Well, so that, that, yeah, might be, well, that might explain some of the heat you're feeling. Yeah, this well, is a, it's a geo weapon designed by Putler. <laughs> Bring it on, Putler. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, the north, you know, the, the, the northeast of the U.S. and the, the Pacific Northwest will have a little bit warmer weather than because it sucks up in those two parts of the country. So maybe they can bring some heat to the long lost lands of godforsaken northeast. We can get rid of we can get rid of the Nordic countries entirely through uh, this global boiling. Get rid of the snow. Wait, did you guys see that? Uh... There's like some big storm coming. It's going to be raining nonstop for like 10 days straight. At least that's what my weather app tells me. Oh, here in Tokyo? Yeah, I mean, it's nice right now, right? But um, like check the weather app. It says it's just nonstop rain for the next 10 days. I'll have to say like I've, I've been here for a while, uh, you know, too long in Japan. And every year they have this, right? It's like this massive typhoon, which is going to hit directly in Tokyo and we're all going to die. And so far it, it has always like changed direction um like the day before or something that they say it's going to come and 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 the it, it usually ends without drama one day i'm sure it's actually going to happen so i'm not i'm not suggesting you make any plans to sort of have a picnic or anything but um probably based on experience it's probably just going to be a, a storm in a teacup as they say yeah i hope so i mean today i think they even said it was going to rain today and it's been like perfect perfect weather today really nice out but it it was pouring yesterday, at least where I live. Yeah, they um, they're bringing they're bringing the scare tactics to us all, and we're going to be locked in the house, not be able to leave. But that's all right. It is obon, and people are going to be out. They're going to be enjoying themselves, regardless to what the weatherman may say. And screw them. If it rains, it rains. The um, but are they? Pre I didn't. I haven't seen out. I'll ask. I'll have to look around after this, see what the see what they're saying for for the weather. I haven't heard anything about any typhoons. Usually, it's in stuff for a couple more weeks, but I guess the typhoon come when it wants to come. But I hope people are happy. I am currently speaking on a microphone, which has been provided by the beautiful and always cooperative Diglett Doomer Diane Dash, who. Uh, does not he and the French people do not like the Europores do not like the sound of my voice on the podcast and they made me upgrade equipment so I appreciate it being provided so that it can sound better I hope you people are happy if you're not happy too bad this is the last mic I'm going to switch to using <laughs> this one it's this one or bust well Dash um, Dash rug pulled us because we were all going to be on the same mic and then he went and got an even fancier one now that we all <laughs> both of us yeah. upgraded and then Dash upgraded again so now it's going to be mismatched. Does he but have a golden micro I I I have to sound the best. This is so this is um 
Um, it's apparently that's the same mic that Joe Rogan uses, or one below. It's the it's the Shure um, microphone. Um, well, that that, which, that uh, seems. I, yeah, <laughs> that's absurd. There's out, no reason for that. I I had reached out to uh, to Cody at Transformation of Value and asked him for advice, and this is this is the advice he gave me. So. We'll see how it goes. But I, I, I like I, as I explained to Mike, I, I don't mind. I'll, I'll take one for the team. I, I don't mind sounding better than than you two. So, if I, if I stand out, I stand out. You know, I'll, I'll take that. Well, we'll have somebody, to change somebody. Dash's Dash's nickname. Will be DMT Dash now, <laughs> right. now that he has the Joe Rogan mic. He's got. We can't keep up with your names, Dash. You have to stop being so nameable because you've got too many now. you got Diglett, you got Diane, you got Doomer. We can't keep up with all this. TM, DMT now, too. This is this is becoming absurd. Well, enough screwing around here. Let's get into it. Japan segment. What are we talking about, Josh? Thank you, gentlemen. So um, this week, as usual, I've got three stories from the news, which I'd like to share with you and the listeners. So the first thing I thought was quite interesting, it, 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 it's another one of these things that comes up regularly in Japan. Once you've been here long enough, you'll notice it's in the news cycle once every, you know, based on, um, I, I, I mean, I think I think it's around, roughly every three years. Um, but it's, it's the whole um, people being arrested for marijuana use thing that comes up um periodically and um this time it's it you know i, I don't know if you recall maybe under you do previously it had been the sumo wrestlers were using marijuana and this was a big scandal a few years ago um now in, in the news the last couple of weeks it's been uh, university students shock horror university students are using marijuana in japan um so there's actually it's um two universities that i'm aware of have, ha- have had this come up uh one is the N- nihon university and the um american football um team were apparently using marijuana they've been arrested and um uh, you know um and also at the tokyo university of agriculture uh, the boxing club there they have been caught using marijuana um and so i just i, I just thought i'd take this opportunity to uh, maybe inform people, uh, listeners who may maybe not aware. You know, Japan is very strict when it comes to to drugs. So marijuana is treated in the same class as as any other drug. You know, heroin or, or cocaine. And so it's very serious to get caught in possession of marijuana. Um, and uh, you know, hence hence the reason this has been a scandal, and hence the reason these students have actually been arrested for this. Um, and if you know, in terms of the quantity, so in, at the University of Agriculture, apparently they were caught with um, 59.6 grams, uh, which I did a little bit of um, um, research on. So gra- so one ounce is 28 grams. Um, and I don't know about you gentlemen. I mean, obviously I didn't touch any of this when I was at college, but um, I had a cousin who did. And um, he informs me that, uh, that people buy by the ounce in uh in 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 the uk so i'm not sure if it's the same in the states but um in and so they had roughly two ounces with them and this 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 is what's caused the scandal interestingly enough they had the they had the price the, the i guess it's the street price in the in the newspaper so they said it was uh three uh yen so it was like um which is you know, again, based on, you know, the information I got from my cousin and based on information which goes back a couple of decades now, but it's something like 10x what the street price in the UK was. So Yeah, that doesn't sound right. Are you sure it wasn't 30,000 yen? No, 
yeah it was um yeah i checked and it was it was yeah so it's i get it right it's it's a, it's about 10x what <laughs> i think you'd expect in the in the us or the uk so whether the, the newspapers you know screwed it up whether it's really expensive in japan i don't know yeah um, that, that that seems a bit on the absurd mm. side I'm, I'm i'm pretty sure that that's that's a bit high but either way yeah and well street price in japan is going to be and uh is a is going to be a multiple of of uh of us or uk prices well particularly us prices at this point but um even of uk prices but yeah <laughs> well good too bad for the college student. i wonder how they got caught did it say yeah so apparently and they did a search of um at least for the um the the football players they did a search of their dorm rooms and they'd found the marijuana in a trunk in one of the students rooms so what prompted the search i have no idea apparently it was wasn't the police it was the university that searched they'd found it and then they'd call the police um so whether that's some you know is i mean is this some kind of psyop or we like i say these, these things come up every sort of three years for i mean you know it's, it's either a celebrity doing cocaine or it's uh, a sumo wrestler doing marijuana or you know now we've got the university students so you know is this is this some sort of distraction that's in the media i wonder um don't know if you gentlemen have any thoughts on that no i mean i'm i have a hard time understanding what exactly prompted this and also two of them i mean obviously something if it's two and they're both announced and they're both throwing the book at them something something has happened you know there must have been an increase in uh in street use or something like that but uh um yeah i i haven't heard anything well the other thing that could be behind this and this is something i've been following for a little while and it's another interesting fact um about drugs in japan so the actual um both possession and using marijuana is a crime um and it's interesting because the way that the law is interpret interpreted it's actually a crime for a japanese national and I assume, although I'm not a lawyer, I assume it also applies to long-term residents, you know, non-Japanese nationals in Japan, that if you go overseas, technically it would be breaking Japanese law for you to use marijuana. Even, even if you went to somewhere like, uh, I don't know, Canada, somewhere where it's sort of federally legal, um, you're technically breaking Japanese law just to smoke the marijuana there. Really? Um yeah, yeah. Now, th there hasn't been no prosecutions that I know of. So again, this is based on interpretation. Um, but the but they would struggle to prosecute anyway because another interesting fact about Jap drugs in Japan is the, the police can't prosecute based on usage alone. And and I'm, what I, what I mean by that is if they took a, a urine test or something like that and it came positive for marijuana, that that wouldn't be enough to convict you. Um, they actually have to catch you in possession of marijuana to convict you. Now, that isn't true of all drugs. So for other drugs, they can, um, for example, cocaine or something like that, if they if they just detected that in your in a blood sample, a hair sample or something like that, that would be enough to convict you. Um, but for marijuana, that's not the case. Now, the reason for that is that Japan has a history of um, hemp, uh, you know, pr producing. And so, you know, they, they, will, they will burn that hemp in the countryside for whatever reasons. And so people will, pr for that for that reason, potentially you know they'll have 
some traces of sort of THC in their uh, in their blood. This is this is what the reason I've heard that, uh, as to why they don't prosecute. But the the police out here, the, or the prosecution, they have been trying to you know lobby for a change in the law, which which would allow them to actually prosecute based on usage alone. And the reason they give for this is that is the typical thing that we probably all heard growing up in the West that you know marijuana is a gateway drug to harder harder drugs, and we need to do this. And 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 as you were saying, Andy, there's a there's been an increase in the usage amongst young people. So to stamp this out, we need this new this change in the in the law so i wonder if and also in the, in the in the case of the the american football players they had also been in possession of um uh, I, what i what i believe is is the japanese for cocaine i'm not i'm not it's, it's some sort of stimulant um that uh, that they were in possession possession of so whether it was amphetamines or cocaine i'm not sure but um uh, apparently you know this was also in the media so whether this is like a um an attempt by the prosecution to build the, you know to, to to get to get to get this over the line if you will and to and to and to get their um their ability to prosecute based on use, usage alone that that's the that was the first thing that came to mind for me so um yeah it's an interesting one i mean you see japan going in one way and the u.s going in another so <laughs> it's interesting well, to be yeah. uh be over here and, and looking at the the differences you know two ounce two ounces of weed even as it's you know 20 years ago wouldn't it you know nobody would have cared in the u.s yeah, I think in the US it probably would have depended on your socioeconomic background, et cetera, and, and the state you're in. Um, and perhaps to some extent still does, although we've seen a massive change towards in attitude towards marijuana. I mean, I, I've gone to Vegas in the last couple of years and you can't walk down the street without walking through a cloud of marijuana smoke. So I'm kind of I'm kind of scared a little bit if 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 Japan does change the law and can prosecute based on usage alone. I mean, just visiting Vegas is enough to get some THC in your blood. I think you can't you can't help it as clouds of clouds of it everywhere. So, um, but 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 to your point, Andy, I, yeah, I think um, you know it's, it it is it is one example of where Japan is completely going in the opposite direction to the other G7 nations because I think I think the, the the relaxation towards marijuana is pretty consistent across. The, the other G7 nations and so that's kind of an interesting example of where Japan's diverging and I, you know I wonder how that's going to play out um, in terms of like the young people in Japan when, they, when they're seeing you know and they access to information that they have right they, they know what's happening in Canada and, and the States and, and, the, and Europe etc and so you know it, it, you'd have thought at, at some point they're going to be like what, what, what the hell what, why is Japan going so dr- draconian like who, who is this actually benefiting right yeah, it's weird. I have a hard, I mean, of, um, I mean, I, Japan can do what it wants. I mean, I know Asian countries are typically, typically pretty heavy handed when it comes to any kind of, uh, substance abuse, but it would seem to me that at this particular moment, they have bigger fish to fry, but I guess, you know, they do what they want here. I mean, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to stamp out the minimal, minimal amount of, uh, weed smokers you got in the country, I, you know, I, you got to do what you got to do. Although I am surprised about the, uh, smoking abroad and they catch you i mean I, i'm curious what circ- what circumstances they would catch you with drug uh they, they drug test you in this country um from returning overseas i'm curious i'm curious what that is about or you know what the what it would look like if you had smoked in if you're in you know any if you're anywhere in the u.s where it's legal and you come back that those circumstances i'm just curious what what it is that the law is aiming towards or under what circumstances that would be applied, but it doesn't really matter. It, it is what it is. And I'm not a lawyer. So I'd be curious, see if it ever comes up in the news. 
it's it sounds like something that would just be applied in very specific circumstances like if they were trying to go after somebody for a particular thing and he had some background related to drugs or something then they would want to issue the drug test i mean i can't see any like situation where you're just returning from vacation or something and someone just wants to drug test you at the border i think japan's a pretty like pretty far away from something like that at this point but yeah you never know could change yeah i think you're right mike and 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 actually you've described i think 99 percent of the japanese you know law and legal system and it's, it's generally um the law's pretty vague and open to interpretation in a lot of cases and you know there has there's no prosecutions to date that i know of when it comes to people smoking you know or using marijuana overseas i think as you say it would be used perhaps selectively um going forward the the other worry would be if they did change the law so that they could prosecute based on usage alone um then you could go and you could go maybe you could go to canada you could have a joint or something come back to japan you could be out you know in tokyo drinking one night and then the police just randomly you know uh, say okay well we, we need a urine test we're going to take you back to the um station and do a test and then they'd actually be able to prosecute you based on on on, on you have been positive for thc and then your defense that you had done that in Canada wouldn't potentially wouldn't hold up. So, but we'll have to see how that plays out. That, that isn't that they haven't managed to change that law yet. Although I think they will be changing it in the next year or two. So um, now I'm curious, what are the um, charges against these kids who got caught? These college kids, oh, are they possession. really serious? Like yeah. what, what are the potential um, sentences that could be imposed on them? So I, I don't know. Um, I will have to see how that plays out. You would have thought, given that, I mean, these kids, some of them are under the, is the adult age still 20 or have they changed that? Because um, one of the kids is 19, one of the kids is, I think, 21 that I've seen in released in the newspaper. You would have thought they would just make them do their, you know, the bowing and write an apology letter and they'll just have to have some shame for a couple of years and what have you and and i i, I would i i, I would have thought they would not go to to jail but um but who knows we'll, we'll have to follow the story and we'll you know we'll update the listeners if we think you know some, something interesting is happening there mm. yeah it seems like asia east asia is one of the most one of the places that takes drug use the most seriously like even the more minor drugs like like uh marijuana right like um if you got caught with two ounces if you got caught like taking two ounces of marijuana into Singapore, you would like it's capital punishment, right? You'd if you're convicted, you would be killed. I think. Yeah, Singapore does not mess around. I mean, in compared to Singapore and other places in Asia, that Japan's fairly lax. Although, you know, I w- I certainly wouldn't recommend anybody doing you know drugs out here because just just the the penalty if you do get caught and as a foreigner, you would you would almost certainly go to jail and face deportation after that and so you know just just isn't worth it if you ask me yeah so it's really interesting to see the contrast like back where i grew up probably at least half of the high school kids like in my town smoked pot (laughs) by the time they graduated high school right but maybe in japan it really is like close to zero yeah i don't i think that i think the kids are doing it um, but, um, again, it's just selectively enforced. Right. And I, I mean, it's different if you're a Japanese national, I think, because, 
you know, as as a foreigner, you potentially you you face you, you will you will get kicked, you'll get kicked out of the country, right? You'll you'll lose your visa. So it's it, there's a bigger penalty for for a foreigner to get caught compared to an, um, a Japanese national. And they don't care if you've got a family either. You know, you would it, it, that's no that you know. I I, th- I I believe people have been people who've been caught have been deported, and even even if they've got family, kids here, things like that. So yeah, well, you really can't miss about yeah. They take DUIs like way more seriously here too, right? Than in the West. I, I think like in isn't the limit like in the in the US? I think it's zero point zero eight is the the alcohol legal limit, and I think here it's lower, right? I mean, it's essentially zero tolerance. So if you have any any alcohol in your blood, if you've had one, if you had one sip of one beer, you're you're not allowed to drive, and in, actually, you're not allowed to ride on a, a bicycle either. Although the bicycle <laughs> one isn't really enforced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the bike. On a Friday night in, in Shibuya, yeah. Well, I've, I found out technically you need bike insurance, right? Like, you, yes. uh, it's yes. it's illegal to go like ride your bike around without bike insurance. Correct. In Japan, I, that's, I just a, re- that's that. a relatively new thing. That's that that came in. I think it was last year or the year before. But yeah, you need you need bike insurance for everyone in your household. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just looked it up, and the legal limit here is zero point zero three, and I think that's basically just for like because sometimes you, if you use like Listerine or something, it can show up on those tests. But um, that's below one drink, I think. Like I think in the U.S., it's meant to be for the average person. You can have like two drinks or something like that, and it's technically legal, um, depending on your weight, your body weight. But uh, yeah, here it's pretty much zero tolerance, maybe a sip. Yeah, not all fun and games in Japan, listeners. Please, you know, keep, keep these things in mind if you um, if you choose to visit or, or live here. Um, so let's let's move on to our second item of the week. So it's our favorite topic to cover, which is the the central bank. And so we we spoken a little bit about this on our last show. We were speculating what might happen in terms of the the, the meeting and whether they'd raise rates or not. Um, and uh, you know, I, I believe what what we had um, the information we gleaned from. Um, the quote unquote experts in the in the business papers was that was actually pretty much came through as they had predicted. I think the prediction was something like, or the consensus view was that the rates would raise and it would be something between zero point five and zero point seven five. Um, it actually went a little bit further than that, and it's interesting how they did it because the, the messaging, as far as I've been able to um, in in my interpretation, is that they they've kind of set a hard limit at one percent. And said, you know, we would intervene at, at that. Um, you know, we 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 would, but we would be a buyer of anything above one percent. So there is still yield curve control in place. But the interesting thing is they 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 allow it to range, right? And so what they've said is they'll they'll allow it to range between zero point five and one. Um, it's currently sitting at zero point five eight based on you know on today, um, and it, it's it's been up to sort of zero point six, and it's you know in in the six hundred basis point sort of level. Um, the the reason that they did this, or one reason that I saw uh, put forward, was that the, it enables them to keep short sellers honest, speculators honest, right? Because if you don't know where that point is, I mean, you know the one percent, but you don't know it. You know, it could be zero point six, zero point seven, zero point eight. Then it would make people wary about taking a large short position. So, you know, I, th- I thought that that kind of made sense. Um, in terms of effectiveness, it doesn't really seem to have done much. Um, in terms of the currency, so we've seen the yen remain weak versus the dollar. Um, I think it's sitting around 143 yen to the dollar today. 
So, you know, no dramatic movement either way. But, you know, if if, if the aim was to sort of bring that uh, strength in the yen a little bit, it's, you know, it didn't work. Um, and then in terms of just just general inflation news and, and you know, how, how this might be impacting things. I mean, I've saw it, one of the things I follow is the um, mortgage rates that Shinsei Bank gives out. And so for their five year fixed offering, um, the rates I've seen have increased. Right. So they were zero point eight percent for the five year fixed. Now it's gone up to zero point eight five. So it's interesting to see that the mortgage rates are starting to creep up, especially when you look at other data coming in, right, which is the average um, new mansion, quote unquote mansion, uh, which is, you know, which is essentially an apartment. It's Japanese called the mansions um, in, in Tokyo. The average price of the new uh, apartment or mansion is now what um, it's uh, it's uh, Ichiokuen or you know based on current exchange rates something like seven hundred thousand dollars. So and you know might might not sound like much, but when you consider the average salary of a quote unquote power couple, right, two two working professionals is something in the hundred one hundred thousand dollar mark mark you know, you start to see how this knock-on effect of increased mortgage rates is really going to, you would have thought, impact on the on the property market and just people's ability to even afford to to live in 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 in, in Tokyo. So um that that's one thing. Another thing we saw is more in, you know, consumer price inflation, shall we say. So Amazon has announced that they're increasing the um, cost of Amazon Prime. So it's going up from uh, 4,900 yen to 5,900 yen, which is a 20% increase in what has been to thus far the last, what, 20, 30 years, like a deflationary tailwind, right? So things like IT services, online services, technology, it always gets better and it always gets cheaper. That's been, you know, the, the thing for the last couple of decades. And that's what's helped keep... You know, I mean, people people's pods have been getting smaller. They've been working longer at work. Their food's been getting less nutritious. Um, there's less prospects for them and their children in the future. But at least they've got Netflix on their, you know, their phone, and they've got Amazon Prime, so they can get things delivered. Um, and that's you know that's been kind of keeping the the peasants happy, I suppose. But you know, now we're actually seeing increases in prices there as well. And when you consider Amazon kind of has the average Japanese consumer by the, by the balls, I mean, Amazon's pretty dominant here in Japan. Um, and also that that price of the Amazon Prime is still relatively cheap. So in the US, it's something like four times um, the price still of, of Japan, even after the price rise. So there's still pre- plenty of scope for these services to go up. I think we're going to see probably an annual thing here with with the likes of Amazon, the likes of Netflix, Spotify, these services just slowly it's going to be the the frog boiling in water. Um but I think I think we're going to see the um the prices just increase 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 year on year. Let's let's close this off. Um I, I wanted to close off on a, another story which I think is going to be coming more and more relevant going forward in in Japan and we've spoken about it this topic on the pod before but it's you know sort of Im- immigration um is is going to be a, a very um a big theme of this decade and um one of the reasons for that is that Japan has a, a declining population currently of something like 800,000 a year so it's like a you know a reason, reasonable tie, size town just being wiped off the map every year and so you know Japan's an aging society Japan needs labor and one of the 
means or ways that they've been trying to do this because it's kind of politically sensitive or at least the perception i think amongst the political class was that it was a it was something that was sensitive something that the voters were sensitive to so they tried to uh, i guess um you know, tread carefully with the way they structured immigration and one of the ideas they had was this kind of they called it a technical intern program and the technical intern program was sold as a way to um actually for Japan to do a benefit to the to the region, right, to, to to the poorer countries in Asia by bringing over young people from the likes of Vietnam, uh, they would work in a Japanese factory. They would learn the know how from the Japanese, and then they would go back to Vietnam and and share that knowledge with their you know their countrymen. Um, that was the what was put forward as the as, you know the justification for this. Now the the, the key there was, I suppose, you know it. Um, it sold the idea to those poorer Asian countries, but it also sold that to the domestic audience that don't worry, these people aren't going to stay. Um, and so one of the ways they enforce that is, for example, anyone on this visa has a, a limited time that they can stay in Japan. And they're also very limited in the kind of work they can do. So they're not actually allowed to change jobs. Right. So if you if you if you join this program, if you come to Japan, let's say you're working as um, you know in a nursing home or you're working in, in, in a factory, you don't have the right to change employers. So you, 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 you know, you, you, you're almost like a, a slave, um, to your employer. And this has had pr predictable results in that, um, these people have been treated like slaves and a number of them have interestingly chosen to resolve this by running away. And so there's something like 300,000 of these interns in Japan on the program, um, and something like 4% of them are currently missing their whereabouts unknown. So something like 12,000, um, they've just left, they've just left, they've just disappeared from the, of, of the radar. And a lot of them apparently are showing up in farms, uh, working illegally and doing agriculture. Um, and so, you know, I just, I just thought this was an interesting, story but i but 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 that you know that the, apparently there are plans to address this by allowing these people in in the technical intern program to to join to actually um transfer to a different program which would give them more rights to to change jobs etc and it seems to me like the maybe the concern that the political class had about immigration and the population's um, response to it was was they were being overly cautious and actually there hasn't been the pushback from the japanese population that they were perhaps fearing i certainly haven't seen anything like that and um and so i think the kind of ground is set now for the political class to, to really expand on these programs to bring a lot more foreign labor over and you know to give to give those people more rights to to do things like you know stay permanently to do things like change jobs um and, and, and I think Japan's going to need to do this to attract the kind of labor that it wants because, you know, people have choices now. They can go to the Middle East, they can go to Canada, they can go to Australia. So, you know, the question is, why would you come to Japan, right? So, I don't know, that's my take. Um, I feel like, so, you know, just to summarize, I feel like, the, you know, the, 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 the attitude, you know, maybe people's perception of Japan is it's a very closed country. Um, and they, you know, they don't like foreigners or, you know, the immig immigration will never work here. I don't think that's the case. And ba based on my experience in Japan, based on what I've seen in the last few years, I think people kind of, I don't, you know, whether they're kind of, they're just too tired to push back or, you know, I, I don't know what the reason is, but I think people are just not that bothered about, about immigrants. Um, any, any takes on any thoughts on that gentleman? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, as 
as an American, uh, as an American immigrant, with family over here, there's, you know, it's always been easier for me. There's a lot of stuff that I haven't ever had to deal with just on a, uh, uh, a logistics standpoint. It's kind of kind of came over. They have a very easy uh, entrance system if you're married. Very easy uh, system to get a visa. Very you know very straightforward. Get this document. Get that document. Stamp. 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 Go through. Do your thing. They've always taken the the, the tack of, you know. Uh, you know, if you're allowed to be here and you're going to and you don't want to become a citizen, you're just going to be here and work and do your thing. Do your thing, especially if you have, uh, you know, husband, wife, grandparent, whatever, um, then they make things pretty easy. Uh, so if you're going to here, you're going to work and pay taxes. and You're going to go home at some point. You're not looking to become a become a citizen. Then come on in. Um, other people I know have had, had more difficulty trying, trying to, uh, self-finance a visa or things like that. Whereas in the U S you know, it can be a Royal pain, you need to get a lawyer and also cost $5,000. And, uh, but once you're in, it's, you know, it's more like you're a citizen here. They retain the right to treat you however they want. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's hard for me to believe that, um, they're paying your average, uh, your average person is paying enough attention um, I don't think they, you know, because it's still, you know, everyone's coming in to Tokyo or Osaka or Nagoya or something like that. They're not, the majority of the people are not, you know, going and bothering 90-year-old Mrs. Suzuki somewhere in Totori or something, right? They're not out in the, the real nowhere spots. You'll have the occasional English teacher, but they're a novelty and they're not worried about it. Well, it'll be more interesting when... Um, the foreigners get out of their 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 little ghettos, and not not that they're ghettos, but their little little isolated locations. When they're not in the major cities, or they're not in, you know, some factory town where they shove all the Brazilians. <clears throat> when they start more, when you when you see Filipinos and whatnot start popping up in these really older, smaller, hundred twenty person villages in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I I mean, again, we'll we'll see how it changes, like the attitude towards immigrants may change as different groups of immigrants come in and you sort of get these um i mean the thing about immigrants today in japan i think there's been some issues with integration and and that's where we've seen the problems come with for example the brazilian japanese that came and had their own you know that sort of large communities and then there would be issues with the locals like oh well you know they they don't put the trash out correctly or, or they're, or they're too loud after hours or something like that. And so, you know, that, that's where we, I guess, tend to see the problems. Whereas, you know, um, other immigrant, immigrant groups maybe don't have the same numbers to form those communities or, you know, for example, with the Koreans, they're a little bit more culturally similar to the Japanese. So there's less friction maybe. Um, you also can't but, see them. <laughs> yeah, they blend in better, right? And so, whether we'll see, you know, once once the immigrants, when once you get those critical mass, right, where you've got sort of sort of the whole streets or, you know, sort of towns which which are which are kind of becoming immigrant towns, which I, which I, I believe is happening in Japan. It's just happening in isolated areas right now. Um, but you know, going going forward, you'd expect even parts of Tokyo to become, you know, there'll be the Somali street or whatever right or um i mean that's certainly how it happened in england so mm. you know I, I guess that's when we'll see <laughs> possible tensions emerge right at that point and that's what that's where miss watanabe might start paying attention a bit more attention 
yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's one of those things really hard to predict. The, um, you know, the the reaction to this kind of thing. I'm sure the old people won't like it. I don't know what the young people will think about it. Generally speaking, I'm think uh, the uh, the average folk on the ground are just going to be a bit slow on the trigger. So by the time they care, it's going to be too late to really change the direction of the ship anyway. So I think this is kind of one of those things where demographics is destiny and the Japanese, you know, take too long in some cases considering and thinking and before they know it, the, uh, the name, the, um, the game will have changed. So there's not really much can be done. So not really sure. Mrs. Watanabe is going to really have much, get to have much of an opinion in this particular part of her life. Yeah, I agree. I think it's 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 just going to happen, and uh, you know, we're sort of uh, we're we're in it. We're along for the ride, right? And we'll just be interested to see how it plays out. So that concludes our Japan segment for this week. All right, we'll move on. This week we've got a little bit of work going through on lava. Lava talks about itself in this way. It says the financial system today is filled with problems. People can't store money at banks without worrying about it being confiscated or lost. Banks restrict the movement of money. They exploit users into obscure contracts and monitor day-to-day transactions. Saving and investing is too complicated, so only the rich with time and money can take advantage of it. Most of the issues described above are a consequence of financial experiences being bank-controlled. When youth try to gain more control over their financial experience, they are faced with two main problems. Difficult interfaces and limited functionality. The if we can if they say if they can help people self custody their money, the implications for the world are significant. That lava, we envision that Bitcoin is that tool that will enable better payments, better experiences, and will be the core of future financial experiences. That's why they've built lava to build the best interface and functionality for Bitcoin and stablecoin-centric financial experiences. So their main product seems to be a wallet, um, and it says that they improve on other, other wallets in several ways. They have a onboarding and recovery improvement. The onboarding process takes just seconds and enables, uh, enables everybody to set up a two secure, uh, enables everyone to set up two secure and reliable recovery methods, uh, the cloud recovery method, um, uh, and also a physical recovery method, allowing you to print out a QR code, which stores private keys and enables more accurate, fast, and a clear solution to seed phrases. Um, but they, they also offer seed recovery, uh, recovery if they prefer, if, if you prefer that and you're used to it. Uh, second, uh, they have uh, they offer Bitcoin and stablecoin transactions in the best user experience, fast and global. Um, Lava is the first wallet where you can move stablecoins, which is USDC, uh, without having to hold a native gas token. Uh, and this significantly improves the stablecoin transaction user experience. Uh, third, they, uh, they have borrowing, and Lava allows... Uh, uh, is the first place to allow you to borrow against Bitcoin in self-custody. That's an interesting feature. That's probably the most, uh, uh, the most, uh, the, the one most interesting to me, being able to borrow in a self-custodied way. And then they have uh, they have uh, internal on and off ramps. Uh, they let you buy 
and self uh, they let you buy and self custody and move money uh, back to their bank or debit card globally. Um, and with their security, they take advantage of the best security practices uh, to use a single SIG mobile wallet and offer features that protect users from their own mistakes like safety checks that prevent transaction errors. Uh, simplicity is their final thing. They say they pay close attention to make sure everything is relevant and design most elegant, simple experience. So they can help you spend less time thinking about finance, not more. All in all, seems like an interesting project. I like the back end that's got um, borrowing against Bitcoin. So if you if you need the money and you've been saving in Bitcoin as you should be, you can borrow against it without having to sell. Hopefully get yourself back on your feet or use it at, uh, as you need to. You can use it on the back end. You can use USDC. I'm a tether maximalist, but you know we'll forgive Lava for this. Um, so and then uh, so you can borrow it. They got the on and off ramps, which is also helpful. And uh, I don't know about the cloud, the cloud recovery method. Some of that seems kind of concerning to me, but you know I don't know anything about encryption, so we'll take their word for it on this one. I won't. I won't. Use, I wouldn't use that if I were me. But you know, for those so in, um, for those so interested, you may do so. Um, but yeah, that's Lava. Seems like a good company. Seems like they're trying their best to put together something that people like. And yeah, uh, that's it for Lava. Color Revolutions Part 3. Mike. Yeah, all right. So, I mean, there's been a ton in the... Um, I, I'm sure you guys have been following in the news over the past couple of weeks um, pertaining to this issue of regime change all over the world. Um coming out of the U.S. foreign policy establishment. So, I mean, first of all, we, we talked a lot about Bukele last time uh, in El Salvador. Did you see that Bloomberg put out the, uh, like, some article? And it was like, El Salvador's iron fist on crime will crush Latin American democracy. Yes, I did so, see that. That was beautiful. Yeah, apparently um, enforcing the law, uh, upholding the law is uh, a threat to democracy. So... It is amazing uh, how rampant crime, violence, vandalism, and you know, rape and pillaging is that's never that's never an issue. That is never that that will never do anything to democracy. But somebody stopping said um, said pillaging is is a threat to to everything holy and good. It's really funny. Yeah, yeah. And if you heard of if there was like one case in Russia, we would never hear the end of it. Oh, it can happen nonstop all day in U.S. cities and just you're supposed to look the other way, I guess. But anyway, I mean, the big thing in the news uh, has been um, and I don't even really know what's what's going on at any kind of deep level. But like Af it seems like a lot of stuff's happening in Africa and um, in Niger. There's a new regime that took over uh, and the uh, American State Department's not happy with it. And they sent over our friend Victoria Newland to um, try to sort matters out. Yo, it is spectacular. That woman is everywhere. <laughs> right. So, I mean, she, uh, she was involved in U Ukraine and like what's going on, uh, uh, played a big role in provoking the current conflict there. Um, and <laughs> now this event happens in Niger. And what does she say? She, she comes out and says, traveled to Niamey to express grave concern at the undemocratic attempts 
undemocratic attempts to seize power and urged a return to constitutional order. So uh, right there in that tweet, we see a lot of the buzzwords that we're very used to. Anyone who's been paying attention to what we've been talking about over the past couple shows here. Um, and we, we can go through all of the buzzwords later that get used in um, by these color revolution operators and activists. Uh, but like these things like a return to order, a return to law and uh, rules-based order, constitutional order. Uh, and then you accuse the enemy of being undemocratic, right? And uh, you're here to establish democracy. So uh, we see it here, but fortunately she got um, heavily ratioed. <laughs> Did you see this tweet? <laughs> yes. It had, a, it had a thousand likes on it. I think there were like over 2,000 comments. And then the top comment, which got like 10x more likes than her OP, was, do you guys follow this guy, uh, Jackson Hinkle? Yeah, he's funny. Yeah, he's funny. He's like kind of over the top with <laughs> with all the like commentary on like these foreign regimes and the, and the US regime. He's like way over the top with it, but it's actually really funny in my opinion. But uh, I, I, what do we keep it on the show? PG or PG-13? No, go for it. It's fine. His 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 top top comment was, "Get the fuck out of Nigeria, you fat war pig bitch." He <laughs> got he got thirteen thousand likes on her original one thousand likes. So, uh, well, I, I mean, I guess that, that's that's the true sentiment in in the U.S., right? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, it, I mean that that's got to be what anybody in the world that has that has Victoria Nuland show up. It's like, for the love of all that's holy, would you leave us alone? I mean. What you didn't you didn't even know where Niger was two seconds ago? Like you know, I don't. I haven't even really followed the uh, the uh, the the story behind it. Unfortunately, I would I would like to to dive in a little bit more just because it it seems to be really popping off, and I'd like to know exactly what happened. But you know, you look at uh, the the current president Mohammed, whatever his name is, I forget his uh, his full name. But you know he was in a he was in a contested election last time. You know he's been selling out everything. To, you know the whole thing is like everything everything they want or everything everything any natural resource they have ends up getting siphoned off by the French. Yada yada. yada. You know standard third world playbook by a colonial a former colonial power or current colonial power, if you want to call it, um, is being played out. So somebody you know some general just gets to the point of like screw this guy. You know, we got to do something and not two seconds after, you know, this, you know, tin pot dictator gets kicked off the, the throne. She's on a plane, you know, so it might, uh, you know, Jackson Hinkle's uh, comments probably re represent what a good amount of people in these places think. This, would you leave us the hell alone? Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like some of their um, propaganda um narratives are kind of getting jumbled up here and that's why it's like um they're not able to control the narrative the way that they were uh, with with something like ukraine because like i think it was really easy with the whole ukraine issue to just like frame it in the way that they did right it's like this is the good guys the democracy what was kamala harris was like we are the avengers and like yeah. <laughs> they are uh he is like the hitler or whatever she however she said it um but here now it's like, okay, so you do have, they've doubled down so, for so long on these narratives about like colonialism and like the, your, the whites and the Europeans oppressing the, the blacks and the Africans. And um, 
but now you have this like western you have these westerners like white lady victoria newland coming over and meddling immediately like you said right like a day what is it like a couple days later she's just immediately flying over and trying to meddle in the affairs of this african country and it's like if you're an american or french or german or whatever you are like why is that happening why does that need to be happening and so now you have these like mixed narratives of the upholding democracy and this ideological thing that they do the left-wing ideological thing that they push on one hand and then you have like the the race baiting that they've doubled down on for for so long on the other and it's like conflicting what do you what, guys think about that why, why is it going on though like can someone explain this to me because i saw that what wagner's out there right uh putin's private army and i and I think this this precipitated the whole intervention. But like, is this a second? Is this a second front in the in the war between, you know, is it, is it Russia China versus the U.S. and and it's now a second front has been opened and and now the U.S. are kind of fighting a war on two fronts or like what 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 is the reason for this? Why why are we even talking about this in the first place? So I mean, I think that's I I don't know the whole. That's what I was saying at the beginning is I don't know the whole context of what's going on in Africa. I mean, I assume that just like – I mean, Ukraine was very significant for the um, Western regime for a number of reasons. It One was the natural resources, right? Like you've got all of these ri- – it's this rich, resourceful land, like metals and energy and agriculture, food, all this stuff. And um, – I think it produce it like it's something like twenty percent of iron or something is mined. It, it, it can be can come out of Ukraine and like it has a huge supply of wheat. So so it's real. It was really important for that reason. But then also at the same time, like if you think about it geopolitically, like in terms of territories and strategic locations, it's right there in between Russia and the West, right? And so they view it as this key territory that has. Um, it, it, it can put pressure and kind of drive Russia out of European influence, right? And like uh, relegate Russia to this like local territory over in Asia and cut it out of cut it out of Europe completely, right? So in terms of like an imperial um, strategic game, it has that position. Um, when it comes to Africa, in like the the american empire competing with other empires in terms of like location i don't know if it has that same significance but it does have all of these re- like rich resources pretty much in every african country as far as i know there's just all kinds of things right well i mean the I, the um france is a pivotal player in this thing right like macron has been um a big one in the in the ukraine saga and now over in niger you know he's this is this is one of their colonies. They got the whole uh, currency thing going on there. Wagner has been in Africa for a while. They were in Libya, and then and then they. It's not like they sent them over to this part of the world. Wagner has been doing whatever the hell it was doing over there for a while. Anyway, Russia and China, as you both know, have been, you know, trying to make inroads with these leaders, which is why they they flip so easily because I they probably found them easier to work with. And the enemy of my enemy is my friend, kind of thing. So some of these, uh, you know. Burkina Faso and some of these other guys probably, you know, see some some relief just having something somebody else to deal with, even if it, you know, it might be a bad guy in the long run. It's not the current guy that I'm fighting against. South Africa is teamed up in BRICS, so all of this is, you know, 
multiple players doing multiple things, which are all kind of popping off at the moment because of probably Ukraine allowing people to have a little bit of breathing room that they, they might not have had before. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's that's why you would see these Russian troops or hired Russian uh, troops over there, and not not just that, but Russian diplomats. I mean, Putin was just in Africa too, right? So whether it's China or Russia or the West, I mean, everyone's going to have a major interest in uh, in in ideally setting up puppet regimes in all of these places. And if you can't do that, at least be on good terms with uh, the sovereign nations that exist there, right? So that you can get in on the uh, uh, all of the like rich raw materials that can come out of a place and you can trade with them. And uh, there's a lot of investment going in from, from China and Russia into Africa, as far as I know. But historically, Europe would have uh, been the main benefactor of um like i guess you could say like, exploiting african lands right like you hear about the belgians and the congo and uh the things that they did there but they like they got really rich off of um off of all of uh that colonization and imperialism not just in africa but in asia too and so i think this is a uh, uh kind of you're we're seeing that era a new era right where there's com- there's actual competition in the world. It's not just the Western establishment. Yeah, and as you said, with the you know with the with the Belt and Road Initiative going through all of these places, you know this is kind of what China was setting up for. It's like we we have our influence here now, um, and then with the the China Russia Alliance, you know, time to you know pull some pull some cards, <laughs> you know. Um, I don't know what they're. Uh, I don't know what they've done in Niger. Probably not as much as they have in Uganda and other such places, because Niger is, you know, it seems to be more closely tied with the French through that that crappy currency they use and through all of the um, the, the 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 uranium agreements that you know that they had. So the French probably had a little bit more of a of a of, a, of an input there than than others have had. In, in some of the other countries where we hear about the Belt and Road Initiative. But nevertheless, it's obvious to see that something's been going on, right? Can we can we talk a little bit about the French thing as well in terms of it, it seems a bit of a coincidence to me since I, Macron, Macron sort of stepped out of line a couple of times in terms of broke ranks with regards to China, I believe, um, and kind of, you know, went against the U.S., line i suppose like ever since he did that it seems you know there's been domestic disturbances within france and then now you've got this one of their colonies having troubles as well is it, i mean is that is that just coincidence or could there be something there in you know in terms of the french being punished sorry my doorbell just rang i have to step away for a minute yeah the um is he i mean the conspiracy, the conspiratorial side of you would be like, well, of course, and you know, this is obviously, you know, some kind of deep, deep state screwing with Macron in the background. I mean, I guess, it, I mean, how, you know, it'd be, it'd be an un, unfalsifiable, like, how the hell would I know? Um, it does seem, however, though, that you wouldn't, you know, when pressure starts to push on a system that is has some weakness where the you know the cracks are starting to show and the 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 Ukraine war is such a 
such an event, right? You know, you have all you have Europe and um, you know, with uh, fiscal problem, with economic problems, fiscal problem. Germany's, you know, having the worst, uh, having some of the worst uh, economic data come out that they've had in a while. France um, is a beneficiary of all that Germany produces. Um, they're being pushed to have a military presence, which they were not prepared for. They, you know, they have their own internal economic issues with uh, per, uh, persistent immigrant um, repopulation issues. So, event, you know, you, uh, the straw that ca- breaks the camel's camel's back is eventually, you know, a reality, right? Like it, they can handle it until they can't, um, and it does seem that. You wouldn't need the U.S. necessarily, or or the British, or anybody else screwing with them in a direct kind of way to see some of these things pop up. Like you won't, you're not going to see it in Spain because they're already dead. You know, they're one of the pigs' countries. They're already dead. They're not really doing anything anyway. They have 13 people in their military. 11 of them are in you know the Ukraine, and who cares, right? Uh, they have their own problems. The Italian thing with the Italians, the Portuguese, the Greeks. You know, you know, you're not going to see anything break apart in Greece because who cares about the Greeks? Um, but France is a major player. Germany is a major player, um, and it's only in major players where you see things go bad, right? Like the war has affected um, China more than more than people would have expected. It's affected uh, the UK in gas prices more than people would expect. All these kind of different things. These, these, these are uh, results of pressure being put on externally. And sometimes the US, although a pain in the ass, is not all powerful, nor are they involved in everything that goes wrong in the world. It's, it, well, it's interesting you talk about these people being f- affected because I believe that gas prices are going up in Japan too. Um, the, the China thing's interesting because I think Bi- the Biden administration just announced a new set of are they sanctions now on? I you know I was reading today in the paper that uh, there's a number of Chinese companies. One of them is Baidu. You know the Jap- mm. uh, sorry the, the Chinese um, uh, search engine, the uh, equivalent of Google. They're rushing to buy some GPUs from Nvidia so they can work on their. AI projects before they sort of uh, before they get cut off. I think they're mm. worried about getting cut off from buying these things. So, like, is I guess this is related too, right? This is part of the, this is the eco- economic front of the war. Oh, absolutely, and it's you know all all of these different things. You know the um, no, uh, you know unless unless you're the U.S. dropping a nuke on the the mighty empire of you know trinidad and tobago or something you know some tiny like you know the u.s can go and carpet bomb some poor caribbean nation can go blow up haiti and there's nothing haiti's going to do about it but you know any other enemy there's going to be some kickback even so that in iraq right what they they might have blown the ever-loving hell out of them the first two weeks of the war but you know 10 years later, they're still there getting picked apart by IEDs. You had Afghanistan where they, you know, where, where we retreated at the end, um, replacing the Taliban with the Taliban. Um, so in, in this particular 
you know, fight, you know, everyone's going to take their knocks. China's going to take their knocks. Russia's going to take their knocks. Um, the U.S., obviously, Europe, you know, everyone's going to, no one's getting out of this without getting scratched. Everybody can be touched in a, in a kind of tit-for-tat global-esque <laughs> kind of war. You don't want to call it a world war yet, but when it's getting closer and closer to that kind of framing, well, what's so interesting is what has Europe gotten out of any of this, right? Um, besides, like, double down and show loyalty to America. Because, um, I mean, they, they're they pretty heavily victims of this new sanctions regime that, that was imposed on them by, by America. It told them, oh, you can't trade with Russia. And if you're going to be doing trades with Russia, now you have to go through these middlemen or whatever. Like, that's the unspoken truth behind it um and i wonder if that's the fact that they've just gotten screwed i mean the 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 nord stream pipeline got blown up right so i I think that was devastating for germany economically and then on top of that now they have all this military spending that they're going to be like supporting supporting the the military the war effort uh and I, i think they've been contributing a lot to the ukraine regime too right financially hmm so I w- I'm wondering if that's also kind of driving the focus, the focus, especially um, with those m- the major players, like you said, like a country like Spain might not really have much influence, but the the more economically uh, that or the economically larger countries like Germany and France would it would seem that they do have a bigger interest in um, now getting resources in Africa that they were originally like even energy, if, if they were originally planning to get energy from Russia now, where else are you going to get it? Right. Hmm. There and I'm sure they're already paying a huge premium at this point. Uh, Andy, you, you mentioned the, the word the, you know, the world war and it, it does seem like we're at least heading you know, like my, my my son came home the other day. had some He had some homework on the on the Cold War. He's studying the Cold War, and and in this in this in this stuff, he's in in the textbook. It's saying the Cold War ended on this date. It was like the you know the Berlin Wall coming down or something. And um, I was just thinking, I was and I was telling him, you know, I, I don't think the Cold War did end. <laughs> um, you know, maybe it sort of was paused for a while, but at least it it, it seems at least we're back to the Cold War era now. And especially because I was I was reading, you know, just reading through that history and it like a lot of the things and tensions and, and what have you then, you know, were obviously it was between the U S and, um, and Russia, right. Or, or, or the, there's the USSR as it was back then, but it seems like at the very least we're back to that point and then we're escalating, right. We've got this, there's, you know, ever, ever increasing sanctions, increasing, you know, um, raising changes, changes in Africa happening, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, are, are we, I guess a couple of questions like, are, are we heading inevitably to actual, you know, more kinetic, kinetic warfare and, you know, perhaps like a World War Three? If we are, I just, 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 well, maybe it's a bit of a tangent, but I was wondering, you know, it's at those moments of chaos, which a, a lot of scores can be kind of settled, right? And I just wondered if, if we did escalate to some kind of like actual conflict, would the U.S. administration use that timing or that the cover of war as an opportunity to maybe settle scores with, for example, Bekele in El Salvador? And it's like, oh, well, he's been taking money from China. He's an enemy. 
you know, and that, and, that, and that's their opportunity to go and sort of take him out, maybe even assass- assassinate or maybe or, or, or even bomb, bomb, you know, God, God forbid, bomb the, bomb the country. Like, could you could you see things spiraling out of control like that? And if they did, would the administration use it to kind of settle scores? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, I mean, you've got. I mean, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is favorite, you know, Bitcoin is two favorite books, you know, the sovereign individual and the fourth turning. Um, I'm a bit more uh, partial to the fourth turning than I am the sovereign individual, but uh, myself, um, fourth turning thinking, right, has us in that fourth turning time frame now until like 2030, 2035-ish. And if that, you know, if, if that holds any water, you know, it's not, it's not Nostradamus here, it's not, you know, prophecy, but, you know, if, if that cyclical framework has any, holds any water, and it has some, I mean, you can see it um, play out a few times, so it seems to hold some, then as we sit here now, right, then the the U.S. is in a position where it will be you know, unfortunately, in a having to exert itself to the point of exhaustion, and that global war is kind of all that can do it. Like, it, you know, it, it can sustain almost indefinitely small, stupid wars in the Middle East. And the only thing that could really bring it to a point of folding over in a fourth turning type event would be something where it's fighting on multiple fronts at once that it can't sustain over a long period of time. We'll see how that develops. I mean, that seems to be, you know, for better or worse, and obviously, in my opinion, nobody wants war, right? So that's worse. So having them open up a front or having to, in some way through NATO, open up a front in Africa, leading to a front opening up in South America wouldn't be shocking. You know, we had, what's his name? I, I forget his name. It just came out today that he was a, the right-wing candidate in Ecuador was just assassinated. Obviously, that you know, you, when political leaders get assassinated in South American countries, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, you know, where was any member of some kind of U.S. intelligence service, you know? Um, so, Cold War... World War, these are all, you know, it's it's only cold if you weren't in one of the places that in which the Cold War was a hot war. Um, and even in the World War or one of the World War, one, one or two, it wasn't hot everywhere all the time. So it, 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 it seems to me that the framing of what's going on now increasingly becoming something like a world war is more and more accurate the problem back in the day is germany declared war against the u.s the u.s declared war against italy or whatever now they're not going to do that it'll be this they'll, they'll they'll be blowing shit up but they just won't know this is a special military operation or whatever you know all this nonsensical terminology which just is is uh, pr garbage to confuse everybody well, and, and and that's partly because it, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the kind of psychops and the whole, the, you know, the psyops and the psychological warfare sort of came out of World War Two, right? And so w- when they're doing that, when they're doing that, when they're message, you know, when they when they have the media in mind and when they're calling their attacks things like special special operations and not declaring war, that's actually an, uh, yet another front which is opened up, right? Which is this kind of 
PR warfare. Yeah, it seems to be. I mean, now social media is uh, flooded with, you know, every intelligence agency getting its message out through, you know, either messaging through, um, yeah, OSINT. Uh, op, uh, I forget what that stands for, but you know, uh, open source intelligence networks or Russian. Uh, Russian sources or Chinese sources uh, going and, and sending this stuff on Twitter, making videos on TikTok, you know, messaging that comes out through um, state propaganda outlets, whether it's NBC in the U.S. or um, Russia, uh, uh, RTTV in, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, on the Russian side. You know, the PSYOP portion of this is just baked into the cake now, partially because of our access to 24-7 telecommunications. Well, speaking of uh, what, what you just brought up, Dash, and also related to Africa, is another um, thing that came out is the World Bank says there will be no new financing to Uganda due to its adoption of the Anti-Homosexuality Act. And I think this isn't the first thing that the, um, uh, if I, I, I might be mixing up countries, but if I have my memory correct, Uganda, wasn't that one of the countries that like stood up to the West's narratives in a number of different things? Like lately it has been when it comes to the LGBT movement, but I think, um, wasn't it one of the countries like that refused to do the, vac uh, the COVID vaccine or am I thinking of somewhere else? Oh, with that, that one guy that had the, uh, the, the leader that had a heart attack and died or whatever. Yeah. They killed, they killed him off. It was, um, <laughs> he, yeah, he, I think he was like a PhD in chemistry and he like claimed like, Oh, I know this vaccine's like BS basically. And, I think the whole co he was refusing to get in line with the whole COVID agenda, the global COVID agenda. That was one thing, and then there was another thing um, where he was nationalizing mines in his country, and um, so that was another reason. Like the Western interests, they wanted to move in and uh, take take the resources, right? Milk the resources, milk the country dry. Um, and he was going to prevent that from happening. So like that, along with the COVID, I guess that was all the um, pretext that they needed to go in and kill him off. And then, yeah, he ended up like conveniently with some heart attack or something. I think they labeled him as a COVID death or something like that. Let's see. I have to look that one up. Yeah, please continue. I'm, I'm curious. I, I don't remember exactly <laughs> who that was. Yeah, we might be mixing up two different countries. Or maybe Uganda was the one that said it was going to ban Twitter for the election. It was like, <laughs> I think it was right after the Trump the Trump Biden election, like, um, and then they came out and then they were going to have an election coming up. And then they were just like, uh, we're, we're banning Twitter. We're banning like this Facebook and Twitter, social media <laughs> before the election. It's a pretty wise put, move in my opinion. It, if you put, uh, if you go in, uh, if you, I just typed into, to, uh, uh, to the search engine and it's, uh, the first thing that comes up is Reuters fact check. These four leaders were not killed for opposing COVID-19 uh vaccination oh, oh, um, that settles it fake news the uh <laughs> john magufuli Tanz uh, tanzania uh hamed okay it was tanzania Never bakayoko mind. of the ivory coast ambrose uh Dlamini, prime minister Iswantini, and pierre i can't say that 
Burundi. Uh, so yeah, no, nobody from Uganda. What, what do they say? It's not, it's not uh, true until it's been officially denied. <laughs> That's right. I, I, yeah, well, on on that point, um, on the point of the Uganda being attacked for the anti-LGBT thing, um, I, when did the LGBT become like this holy cow that was? It's kind of the opposite of Nazi, right? Because if you say someone's a Nazi, that we know everyone that's bad, and if is like LGBT is good, and if you so if you and if you are against LGBT, you're you're a Nazi. You're that's the worst thing you can possibly be, right? That's the kind of narrative shorthand i guess when you when you really want to damn somebody but like what why why did this happen like why why is why is lgbt the the biggest virtue in the in the kind of um you know the global american empire like how, is that is it did that come about by accident or is there some do you think there's some reason behind that i mean i definitely think there's a reason behind it. i mean I, I think that that is ultimately what's going on here is like the the west wants to spread i mean we talked uh in the last episode about why is it liberalism right and that's what they want to spread around the world when they talk about like our democratic values our liberal values um the rules-based order what they're talking about is spreading their like crazy liberal nonsense all around the world in places where people don't want it and they need to force the force the ideological system onto everybody they want everybody to submit i mean maybe i I think it can be analyzed at a number of different levels right like on one level you could view it as oh it's like a psyop that's meant to distract while they like take your money and your resources and and everything um or you you could view it as uh it's like a humiliation ritual it's it's meant to demoralize in like when they get you to fly i mean they what uh was it germany the other day where like they have the they had the rainbow flag hanging higher than the German flag at the embassy. <laughs> like I, I forget which country it was. It was one of the the. I think that was Germany. Yeah, it was one of the ones controlled by the U.S. Of course, and um, like it's meant to demoralize you to play like some kind of long game to get at your resources, which goes back to the, like that first layer, right? But I I think um, I mean ultimately I think that that these these ideological like moral inversions in these kinds of things i think that is more underlying all of this stuff than any kind of financial incentives ultimately yeah and if you know it you know if you want to do the you know everyone or a lot of people have traced modern day american left progressivism back to various parts the enlightenment and that's expansionary narrative but in the american context you know if you take it back to um the the uh, the northeast and it, the, the puritan roots and how, how it needed to spread if you take that as an assumption the religion of the of the country uh needs to spread and it has become the religious foundation starting in you know the puritanical uh spots of the american northeast and spreading throughout the entire country over time if you take that as as a base of a base assumption which you know other people have argued better than 
than we're going to do right now, but take that as a base assumption. It only makes sense that if the American empire, right, has a state religion and all empires do have a state religion, and if the American empire is in a position to have global dominance and wants to secure global dominance, the only way that it can do it is by imposing its religious foundations on others. And it has chosen this particular manifestation of an evangelical faith system to export. And either you will accept it or we will blow you up and then you will accept it. Those are the only options. Because this is good and righteous and true, and to not impose this on you means that you are denying. For us, we have the power to make you, the U.S., I mean, the U.S. has the power to make you accept whatever it, it deems as good and virtuous. And for it to not do so would be unacceptable. And if it's good and virtuous for people to have a full uh, liberty in a full orbed sense, and that means for them a sexual and uh, gender-based existence for whatever reason, and, you know, the hundred hundred different re- theories or thoughts behind why they would, why that would be the, the grounding narrative. But if that is the narrative and that, that is good, virtuous, and true, if they're not imposing that on Afghanistan, Uganda, or anywhere else, then they are failing in their duty to provide for the citizens of what they consider their empire. Is it, I mean, you you said there were several several reasons for for it. I like one one I can think of is if if the U.S. is essentially captured by corporate interests, right? Um, and I and I and I know the corporations love pride um more than any other of the kind of west western you know fe- festivals right or what, what religious obs- observ- ob- observances you know to put it to put it in the context you just brought up but um is it is it because we're so beholden to corporate interests and that the lgbt typically are just good consumers like because they don't have kids and um, they just they just they just kind of easy to control, and they and they and they and and they, and they buy like good consumers. Is is that fundamentally what's driving this? Could that be one of the reasons that that that, that um, incentivizes LGBT to be held up as such a virtue? Well, I mean, I personally don't think um, corporate. I think although corporate interests and perhaps empire. Um, state interests are overlapping at the moment. I don't think they, they both have the same rationale. I think corporate interests are just maybe, as you said, um, dollar oriented and they can make, they can extract the most amount of money from this group of people in this particular time, in this particular way. So they'll take it. I don't think that that is the, um, this, uh, the larger state interest. They might overlap for the moment, but, um, I don't think they, I don't think they're they're one and the same. No. I mean, yeah, I I think that uh, the ultimately like the there is some 
underlying drive behind all of this. And I don't, I've never found that, uh, or I, I guess I don't find um, financial incentives to be an adequate explanation for what's going on. And um, I think in for, for in many cases, in many instances, for, for a lot of people who are occupying certain positions, maybe financial incentives are uh, being used to move them around like pawns and to use them as pawns. Um, but like ultimately when I look at, I mean, what the, one of the nicknames for the globalist American empire is the great Satan. And right. I, I, when I see it, I just see it as this beast that is here to spread evil around the world. And it's, it needs, that's why it's not satisfied with just normal, like, come over, rule over you, take your resources and like subject you politically. It needs to go further. It needs to spiritually debase your whole, your whole society. And, um, I think it, it, that, that distinguishes it from other cases, right? Like, uh, take like your average, um, just like a street gang do they feel the need to do that no they just want your money right like, like they want your property um and I, I think there are a lot of regimes in the world like would someone let would a regime like russia it, it obviously is interested in um in imperial conquest as well it would like to expand its 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 borders right it would like to expand its territories but um is it going to be pushing like demonic is it going to be needing to push like feminism and abortion and, and uh, sexual devi deviancy and all this kind of stuff? Right. Like, so like, why is, why is America doing that? Yeah, if you, I mean, Russia would bring, you know, great literature, you know, um, art, uh, the orth Orthodox church, right. Um, it's, you'd have, right. That, that's what they, I mean, in, to my knowledge, that's what they, they push. And that, and, and, so I mean, so it's, and and it, we we spoke about this a little bit on the last episode, but it, it's getting to the point where you know, even I mean, I, you know, we're, we're citizens of the of the G seven and the global American Empire, but you you look over at Russia and what they offer, and you know, even if they did come knocking and and had you know they had Dostoevsky, and it's like okay, we're gonna have we're gonna read Dostoevsky in schools. I, I don't think I'd have a problem with that. I think that I'd I'd, I'd welcome that more than. The, the LGBT agenda, right? I'd be more comfortable with my children um, reading Dostoevsky than than doing drag drag queen story hour, right? So, like, it's yeah. There's there's drag yeah. queen story hour. There's like pornographic materials being given to elementary school kids now. Um, they're doing they're grooming these kids in school, right? Telling you like, oh, don't tell your parents what you're learning here in class, like about your gender identity and sexual identity and, and these kinds of things, right. To like to little kids and they're uh, like you said, yeah. Like, I, I think it's not, not even just Russia right now, but like historically um, probably few people with imperialist ambitions, like want to do that kind of a thing. Right. They might want to, uh well I, I i guess there there's plenty there's plenty of like they want to s dominate and spread a uh spread their religion 
right? And I guess that's why you need to understand it in that way. Like that's, I, I think that's what's going on. Yeah, I, I agree. US. I agree with that. It, but it seems, in to me, just historically speaking, maybe there are cases where I'm wrong, but like the the, the dominant empire of the time usually kind of civilizes or try, attempts to civilize the um, their, their territories, and and that. The, there is culturally a net benefit to that. You, it could be shown, for example, with the kind of literature, the music, etc. Um, the, the just mora- morality of the population. Where it seems like with the American agenda, this LGBT thing, it's the opposite of that. They're pushing on this kind of I- I- immoral, um, w- w- with no grounding. Like people don't want it. People people don't benefit it, benefit from it. I just I'm, that that's what confuses me the most because it seems so counterproductive. I just don't understand the incentives. Because well, I mean, it seems like it's just going to bring pushback in the end. Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Please. Every well, every every empire has a cycle. I mean, all empires have a time when they're they're bringing you know take the Romans, take the Greeks, um, whatever. You know, they're 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 these global. They weren't global, but for the time they were, as far as they knew, global. They were bringing um, high culture. They're bringing benefits to uh, the places that they conquered in a certain sense, as you just said. However. You do get to the times of Nero. You do get to the times of Antiochus Epiphanes, where they're going into places and start destroying stuff, and says, "Either you're going to follow this religion, <laughs> either you're going to, either I am God, you know, and my, you know, the uh, your overlords here are your betters, and you will worship as they do, or you will be murdered." Right? All right. empires do that. Um, right. So we're at, and, we're at that late late stage of the empire thing, right? It certainly feels like it, right? Yeah. Well, also on your point about like, what are they getting out of this? I would add that, um, what do you get out of sin, right? In general, you get short-term gratification maybe, and it leads to your destruction ultimately. And that's what it is on a, on a large scale is the way I'd see it. And I, I would, I would go further and say, like, if you really want to, this is the only place that liberalism can lead to. Right, like this, this uh, enlightenment notion of of political liberty and indi- individual freedom, um, and obsessing over this as this like philosophical political concept of freedom, freedom to like freedom to do. But uh, and we've talked about this many times. But ultimately, what does that even mean? It's just freedom to do what right it's not telling you what it's it's not there's nothing substantive there there's nothing positive it's all it's just defined by the fact that it's a negative category it's defined by what it isn't right it's it's not whoever can tell me what i can't do but it doesn't tell you what you should be doing and so ultimately the only like what, what is that freedom in the in, in anyway it's just freedom to indulge in your sinful passions and so i mean th- there's like th- the other way to look at that is to recognize that not a that's not freedom spiritually like from a spiritual perspective from a christian perspective that actually isn't freedom it's slavery to sin right so um true freedom would be freedom to control overcome that and, and control your passions and, and not indulge them the sinful passions right but liberalism can never give you that the whole point of liberalism is to get you to indulge in your passions well, yeah, and try try telling that to Hunter Biden, right? Case in point, I mean, he's got, he's just a lot. He's just a lost soul, right? He's completely rotten to the core, and and I imagine right. he's just sim, sim, that's symbolic of the American ruling class, right? Or at least well, that's, that generation. 
if you look at it, all of the symbols become sin, right? Like there's in that case, it's like indulgence in drugs and, but all the, all the money, the greed, right. And like, that's basically what the fiat elites are icons of is just like the personification of greed. And then you have like the whole LGBT movement and this, all of this stuff, it's just a mix of lust and pride. Right. And these, these become the icons that are celebrated in this liberal regime. That is the name of the game. I don't know. Um, we are, we're probably, we'll wrap up in a minute here. I don't know if we really got too much of the color revolution stuff. We just got kind of <laughs> global empire uh, stuff on this one. Um, but yeah, the, I don't know. Dash, you know, just out of curiosity, we've been, we've been doing the color revolutions for a few things uh, now. And at the beginning, you know, I think you were the one that was, um, trying to just uh, thinking through it the most has anything that that we've gone through like moved you in a direction or helped you to see things in a particular in a in a in a different way or in a in a more concretized way than than when we started yeah for me it was it was a real eye, eye opener to you know read through the original set of essays and um you know, and just just to understand the extent to the of American involvement behind the scenes, um, which, in retrospect, obviously thinking about it now, is it's, it seems more more obvious. But at the time, I remember living through the Orange Revolution. I think that was the one that the Ukraine one, and um, you just just swallowed the propaganda line. You know, with uncritically, I think, like I think most people did. So it's been interesting to go back and just um, like like <laughs> like like with most periods of history, which 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 um I'm, i've now taken another look at you know I'm, I'm i'm sort of getting a lot of insight into um what was really going on um but i, th- I think you know one of the reasons maybe we're getting sidetracked is, is because it seems like all of these color revolutions it seems it seems there's been a natural progression and a sort of escalation and it seems we're, we're reaching a kind of crescendo now with the you know we we kind of mentioned world war three on this episode and 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 the cold war etc but it, it just seemed like we're escalating to a point now where you know i think things things are accelerating and so i think that's probably one of the reasons why we're getting you know we, we tend towards that conversation because you know it seems like there's like there's a definite conclusion coming up here and um um and, and i think it's not us it's not just us that are getting wise to the american <laughs> tactics right like it's um obviously the chinese and the russians and um um you know that the african countries etc people are, are sort of are, are quite well aware of what's going on now and, and maybe that's prompting a lot a lot more of the of the pushback we're seeing so um yeah that, that they would be my my thoughts hmm. no no i think yeah that yeah interesting yeah i'm glad um, i'm curious to see if um you know over time see what more develops you know because this is one of those things that could probably go on for 27 different episodes there's a lot that goes on here the intricacies of it i'm actually curious how you think this a citadel uh or a, how citadel theory works to prevent or um build defenses against this kind of thing because i think that'll be necessary in the future people know what's going on now but you got to figure out what do you do about it yeah i mean for, for me like i'm still thinking of the citadel from a very much like an individual or even a family level um and so it's it, it would be more it, i'm still on that kind of sovereign individual way of thinking about things where you have to have jurisdictional arbitrage so you have to be willing to shop around and move around 
Um, I haven't really moved from that position, to be honest. And I, and mm. I, and I don't, and I think it's going to be very challenging to actually have like a real concrete citadel, so, like to plant your flag somewhere and, and expect to be able to withstand interference from the likes of the US, et cetera. That, that, that's like a really ambitious thing to me, which I, I don't, I don't ever see myself taking on that, um, uh, that task. I, I think, I, yeah. So for me, it's, it's like stay nimble, you know, and, uh, and be ready to move. Well, Mike, last words. Um, on the point about uh, World War and like what this could all be leading up to, I, I think certainly it can lead to an increase in kinetic warfare. Um, I, I would also say though that this kind of it, it, all of this regime change stuff and the psyops and the color revolutions, I think, is a version of modern warfare. Um, which is one of the things I was trying to emphasize on uh, one of the previous shows is um, like if you had a color revolution psyop department in the in the federal government, it should be regarded as a branch of the military, just as important, if not more important than say like the Navy or the Air Force or something, because mm. it will it it serves the exact same function in the end, right? Maybe more peacefully. Um, but it often lead, it, it can provoke wars where people actually get killed too, like in, like what's happening in Ukraine. But um, if your goal is to just capture a society, like you have the society that's being governed in a certain way, it has a certain culture, it has a certain people, and you want to just completely overthrow it, right? Overthrow that that government, install a new one, um, turn those people into your slaves, not just not just in terms of like their property, but also and their labor, but also the way that they think, right? And ult like ultimately, it's a, what we were getting at at the end here is it's like a spiritual, religious phenomenon. Um, you can basically do all of that stuff through the color revolution model and using tools like tech tools, like social media. Um, and in the old days, you had to go in with like hor horses and swords and kill a bunch of people right but and um this can accomplish basically the same goal in the end in terms of in terms of swapping out the regime and overthrowing the society and all of its culture and all of its values all the more reason to keep your head in the swivel in these times listeners it's a good place to end it yeah i think uh sobering when you think about it and necessary to think about tools that you have of which Bitcoin is one to hopefully put you in a position to not only um, not get steamrolled financially, but perhaps have an outlet for setting up defensive positions and be able to be anti-fragile in trying times for lack of a better word. Mike, Dash. Wait, you, wait oh, is this ahead. a Bitcoin podcast? <laughs> you'd, you'd forget, but yes, it's all one big thing. End it here. And we thank you for listening to us today. You can find us on Twitter and Noster at Tokyo Citadel. You can find us on our main site, tokyocitadel.com. And please check out our guests that, that you heard today. Support us on the Fountain app with a thousand sat boost or... Head on over to the site and hit us up with some love over there.
building sovereignty, privacy, and hope into the Tokyo Citadel. See you next time.